Hey, my name is Augustine Colebrook. I'm the principal at the Midwifery Wisdom Collective. My focus is on big picture political movements that are happening within the profession, some of the controversial questions, and centering voices that are not being regularly heard. I'm Layla Wyatt. I am a traveling student midwife, learning midwifery from cultures and a lineage of midwifery throughout the United States. I'm here to center the voices of students to hear their calling, their pathway, why they chose midwifery, and even share a bunch of birth stories along the way. Greetings, I'm Jamara Amani. I am a midwife, a mom, and a social justice activist. I am here to challenge white supremacy, homophobia, transphobia, and anything that keeps people from being their best and living their best selves as we have the human right to do. And I am looking forward to sharing stories of birth justice on this podcast. Hi there, Delmar Bowden. I am on my year transgender midwife and postpartum doula. My focus is on increasing access and equity in midwifery care and midwifery education. Hello, my name is Angie Love. I am a community nurse midwife in Vero Beach, Florida at the practice of Midwife Love. I also do telehealth midwifery through Midwife RX. I'm a mama and I am committed to maintaining birth choices for all people and educating a future generation of midwives because we will not die out. So I am Angie Love, CNM, nurse practitioner, practicing in Vero Beach, Florida, doing telehealth in Utah and Florida as well. My pronouns are she and hers. My Vero Beach practice is called Midwife Love. It includes prenatal care, home birth, postpartum care, gynecology for all, and primary care. My telehealth practice is called Midwife RX and includes provision of necessary prescriptions in Florida and Utah for all adults over the age of 16. And I am living in Vero Beach, which is occupied land, former the IES indigenous people lived here. So I'm with Margot Keen today. And if Margot, if you want to introduce yourself. Hi, I am Margot Keen. Um, I'm a former Florida licensed midwife. I was licensed for almost three years and I worked with this beautiful, wonderful woman here for that entire time. She was also my preceptor for a few years before that. Um, my programs are she and her as well. And I currently live in Fort Pierce, Florida. So just a little bit further south. Yes. Okay. So today we're going to talk about how to be resilient and how to avoid burnout, which are two sides of the same coin. Um, I, I don't know if you watch it, but I love that show called The Midwife that's on BBC and on Netflix. Of course. It's based on the memoirs uh, by Jennifer Worth about uh, 1950s midwifery in East End London. There's a quote on the beginning of every episode that says, why did I ever start this? <laughs> and it's a question, oh. I think, that most midwives ask themselves sometimes, you know, sometimes more often than not, after long nights and blurry eyes. I am a really emotional, loving, weepy, happy, joyous, but also exhausted. So... I was watching a uh, call the midwife, which sometimes I do after a birth. And we had a lovely birth uh, that night. And I weep with happy tears, remembering the birth and watching this show. Um, 17 years I've been a midwife, 22 years attending births. So, wow, there are 22 year old adults that are walking the earth that have felt my hands at their birth. That's really intense thinking about that. 22 years of hearing the sounds of birth, paying attention to the waves, being with women. And I think I'm up to about 947 babies in my career. Still blows my mind. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> okay, so Margo, I wanted to start with you and tell me about your calling to, midwif to midwifery. So I was a fairly young midwife. I felt the calling to midwifery around the age of 15. Um, I was definitely still in high school. I knew that I wanted to be with birthing persons. I wanted 
to be in that birth process, but I knew I didn't want to go to medical school. That's all I knew. So I spoke with a guidance counselor and she's like, well, midwives are still a thing. And I had no idea that even existed. And I feel like that's kind of a thing that people don't really realize that midwives are still around and still doing their thing. So I went to the Florida School of Traditional Midwifery, um, did their direct entry licensed midwife program. It took me about three years, almost four to finish completely. And then I became licensed in the state of Florida and started working for, yep. Yeah. So when you first looked, thought about being a midwife, that vision, what did that what did you imagine? What did it look like that in your mind, what was it going to be like? So I feel like at first I had the same idea that a lot of people going into the birth field have, which is, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to hold babies and I'm get, I get to be with babies this whole time. Um, and I, but you really loved babies. I really loved babies. I, I loved the birthing process as well. Like I felt as though I wanted to be with birthing people as well, but that wasn't my true call. Like I wanted to be with babies and I thought that would be so much fun. Um, as any birth worker could tell you, that's, that's not the case. <laughs> we get such a small amount of time with the actual babies. Um, and so that I think was an adjustment period, realizing that it's not the babies that you're caring for, it's you know your pregnant patients and that you really have to have a heart to help people and help them through their childbearing year. And through my midwifery school, I definitely developed that love. And now if you'd ask me like why I love midwifery so much, I love the babies, of course, but they are kind of my back of the head thought. I really do have a heart for helping pregnant people and helping them through their childbearing year and and seeing them become parents. And I am glad that my thought process changed. Um, And I really believe that midwifery school helped me realize that Um, and just working with birthing persons. And uh, you went to FSTM. It's a three-year program here in Florida. Uh, Mika credited, right? One yes, of the good yeah. ones. Um, some people would say one of the best ones here in Florida, right? Oh, yeah. Probably the most expensive one. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> uh, so how was your school experience? So school was... I would say school was fairly easy for me. I come from a place of exceptional privilege and I recognize that. Um, I was able to go to school while not having to work. My parents basically paid for everything and I'm so grateful and I recognize that privilege 100%. Um, And so I really enjoyed my schooling process. I really enjoyed learning how to become a midwife. And I feel as though FSTM really did do the best that they could to prepare us for what midwifery was going to be like. Um, They never once sugarcoated how hard this career would be. Um, From the very beginning, they almost warned us like, hey, most of you will drop out before you graduate. And then of the ones that do graduate, I think they said 10% won't finish their uh, three-year into preceptorship. And so they really did try hard to give us very uh, realistic goals and, um, you know, put us in places that we would succeed and put us with teachers who would really help us succeed in our midwifery career. So I really loved midwifery school. I loved the environment. Um, It's in the middle of Gainesville. It's such a cool little town. Um, I got to live there for two years while I was going to school. So I really enjoyed it. Um, it was definitely difficult. I feel like some people see the direct entry midwife program as like an easy way to get a midwifery degree in Florida. Um, but it was by no means easy. We still took all of the rigorous courses like microbiology and chemistry and pharmacology and anatomy and physiology. And we did some hard science classes because that's what makes competent midwives. 
and I feel like the school is really trying hard to produce competent and confident midwives. Okay. So did you feel like they prepared you adequately in the clinical arena? So that is one of the things that midwifery in a whole struggles with, because unfortunately you can't really learn how to be a midwife without being a midwife. So the way that the schooling goes is your first semester, you're taught basic, um, I call them clinic skills. So how to take a blood pressure, how to draw blood, um, basically helping out in the clinic. And then your second semester of school, you are put into a preceptor site. So you are put at a site where you will be experiencing births. Um, And so you are thrown right in (laughs) because this is one of those things where you really have to have that hands-on experience to to learn. Um, Midwifery is such a hands-on job and career that I can't imagine doing it any other way. But that being said, it does make it more difficult because you are fresh, you're brand new to this midwifery world. And then you are thrown directly into a preceptorship. And there are some amazing preceptors, amazing preceptors who will go to the ends of the earth for their students. But unfortunately, um, there is also this pervasive uh, habit of maybe student abuse in some cases where the students are used as like free birth assistants and free labor, because a lot of times students aren't compensated for their labor, they're um, being taught. So it's like a free internship basically. So that made things a lot more difficult, of course. Um, And so unfortunately, your preparedness for the real world and the the real world of midwifery comes from your preceptor. So if you have a really great preceptor who, really tries hard to, you know, show you how things are and really give you a good idea, then yes, I feel like you are really well prepared. Um, But sometimes I've seen students who have no clue what midwifery is going to be like after school, and then they're thrown in completely blind. So I feel as though I was adequately prepared um, because I had really good preceptors (laughs) Mm -hmm. who did not sugarcoat anything and uh, really tried to show me what on-call life was going to be like. And I think that is the hardest thing for people to come to terms with is that on-call rigor. Yes. Yeah. Okay. How about emotionally? Did your school do anything to uh, teach you about how to handle stress Um, how to be emotionally prepared for all of the sad stories or in-depth trauma that you might be hearing about. What did your school do in that area? We, we took some basic psychology courses, of course. Um, we did take like a, a trauma awareness course. Um, we did actually have a very interesting, uh, short, like three class uh, segment on death and being like death doulas and working through the grief process. So I feel as though in the limited time that we had, uh, the school did the best they could, but I truly don't believe that anything could really prepare you for how heavy this career can be. Um, Midwives, since the dawn of time have been gatekeepers. They have stood at the gate of life and death always. And part of that is seeing death. And that is very difficult for a lot of people. And sometimes you're experiencing these wild emotions of both grief and joy, sometimes in the same moment. Um, we've had patients who have finally given birth after many, many losses and sitting with them in that joy of holding this brand new baby while also grieving with them for all of these previous losses. It's, it's a very interesting dichotomy where you have to kind of sit in the middle. And so I feel as though sometimes a lot of midwives feel like they're being pulled in multiple different directions. 
and they have to work very hard to maintain their sense of self and not get lost with those currents of emotions. Yeah. The school really tried, but I don't think anything can properly prepare you. (laughs) Okay. So what was it like when you were brand new licensed midwife? Terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely terrifying. Um, I was very lucky and I tell people that all the time. I was very lucky to be part of a two midwife practice. I was working here with Angie and I truly believe that the two midwife model of care is the most efficient model of care because I never felt alone. I never felt like I was being just thrown out and, you know, left to my own devices. I always had someone to ask questions. And through my schooling, I also met many other, you know, sister midwives who I learned to also rely on for advice. I'm reading this book called Grit. And it's an interesting book. My sister recommended it to me. And it talks about how talent is only a very small part of the equation about who makes it in this world. And it's a lot more about effort. Mm -hmm. It's kind of double the effort and a little bit of talent. And I wrote some notes down that I thought were interesting that kind of apply to our topic. Um, It said, enthusiasm is common. Uh Endurance is rare. Yep. And they talk about the difference between passion and perseverance. Some people have some passion, but then they don't persevere. And some people persevere and they lack their passion. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So what were some of the challenges that you faced when you were a brand new licensed midwife? So I personally have struggled most of my life with varying degrees of anxiety, depression, um, feelings of self-doubt, things like that. So that did not go away when I got my degree. (laughs) Um, not go away after years of therapy. That's probably something I'm going to struggle with my entire life. So that I think really was the thing I struggled most with was my confidence as a midwife. And it, it was hard because no matter what anyone told me, no matter who was telling me, I could be getting these glowing reviews from patients and glowing reviews from my preceptors and you know, saying everything was great, but I would still be hypercritical of myself and how can I do better and what could I have done better? And I think for me personally, that was the hardest issue to contend with. Um, As I got more comfortable as a midwife towards like my second and third year, I was able to relax slightly, but I feel as though that hypercritical nature never really went away. Um, and it was something that I really struggled with up to the end of my midwifery career. Yeah. So. The, the inner critic is what we call it, right? Yep. Your inner critic is strong. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah. I feel like my inner critic is not that strong. <laughs> my outer critic is a lot stronger. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I found this wonderful article. It's some new research. Um, It just came out in 2021, uh, Journal of Midwifery and Women's Health. And I'll post a link to it if possible. Um, It was in the January, February of 2021. It's called Prevalence, Related Factors and Levels of Burnout Among Midwives, a Systematic Review. So this, this research was actually what inspired me to think about burnout and resilience and to think about this might make a great podcast episode. So um, I thought we'd go along. I hit some highlights and we could discuss as we go. Absolutely. Okay. So they, they define burnout as a state of mental and physical exhaustion related to caregiving. 
yes. <laughs> so midwifery is a whole lot of caregiving. Oh, yes. It involves the mental, it involves the physical, it involves late nights. So I think it's highly applicable. <laughs> it says that burnout can jeopardize the quality of care. In 2019, the World Health Organization said it's an occupational disease and recognized it as an official medical diagnosis. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) So um, there's three different concepts in burnout. We have emotional exhaustion or the depletion of emotional resources and feelings of physical exertion. We have depersonalization which is where we get cynical and have indifferent attitudes towards others. And the third component is low personal accomplishment reflected as dissatisfaction and low self-esteem. So those are the three components that are widely accepted. There are some factors that have been realized before, like high stress levels, an imbalance between your actual skills and what your obligations are, overwork, poor working conditions, long working shifts, a lack of support and resources. There's personal variables, both sociodemographic and personality related variables. Burnout has been associated with depression, inability to concentrate, health problems, and PTSD. So some of the unique um, aspects of midwifery might lead to burnout, like highly complex situations. And some studies have reported a very high risk of burnout in midwives with many abandoning the profession because of dissatisfaction. So that's a big problem. I mean, we know that here in the US, we need a ton more maternity providers, we need a ton more midwives. All over the world, we need more midwives. So many of our healthcare goals could be achieved by having more midwives of all types all around the world. So if midwives are leaving the profession through burnout, we need to examine this both personally for ourselves and organizationally, how can we prevent this from happening? What would you like to add? So part of the issue that I noticed was that midwifery as a whole, especially here in North America, isn't as respected as a profession as it is like, of course, in Europe, you know, in Europe, you have the midwifery model care. That is what they do. Um, And they are very good at it and they have really good outcomes because of it. Um, Here in the States, I feel as though a lot of people know about nurse midwives and recognize nurse midwifery as you know real midwifery. Um, as a licensed midwife, I felt as though I was constantly having to prove myself, um, not so much to my colleagues, but to other allied health professionals. Um, anytime I had to transfer to a physician, they would always kind of look at me like, hmm, what is this lay midwife doing here? Uh, they loved saying that, knowing I would re- always correct them. I'm a licensed midwife. L stands for licensed, not lay, licensed. Um, but it was that constant cycle of having to explain my education, prove myself to these doctors, prove that I am making good decisions for my patients, um, proof, proving to them that I have done my due diligence and given them, you know, the best care that I can. And, um, that was always very difficult to have to constantly put forth that effort. Um, And not just to care providers, just to normal people. Um, Explaining my career to my friends and family was always very interesting. Um, And even my own nuclear family uh, didn't quite understand why (laughs) I would be doing something like this. Um, so that was always really difficult for me. And of course, midwifery in and of itself, especially home birth midwifery, where, you know, we don't have nurses to check heartbeats for us. We don't have an on-call room to go nap in. If you are blessed to have a partner midwife, um, you might be able to steal a couple Z's 
in the back room while your patient is transitioning. But typically when you are there, you are there, you are present for the entire birthing process. And it is, like you said, long nights and exhaustion and sometimes falling asleep on your way home and having to jerk yourself awake at the wheel. And that mix of the physical and the mental toll, I think just it wears on people after a while. Yes, 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 yes. I hear you. And I think that what you spoke to about midwifery in general definitely has a marketing problem. For sure. (laughs) (laughs) Many people don't even know what that is. Some people think it's the same thing as a doula. Um, I remember many long years ago, I believe it was about 10 years ago, I had a dad who was a pharmacist. He, He is a pharmacist and he wasn't really sold on the idea of home birth but his wife was. So the first time he meets me, he asked me, who gives you the authority to deliver babies? And I said, actually, the state of Florida gives me the authority. (laughs) And, uh, you know, four babies later, still having babies with me, but that comment sticks with you. Like, Oh oh my God, like these people, but seriously, he's come a long way and he's a total convert to home birth. And four babies later, you know, all is well, but he had no idea what this midwife thing was. So there's actually two different instruments to measure burnout, which I thought was fascinating. The there's one specifically uh, called the Copenhagen burnout inventory CBI. And the CBI has three subscales. One is like, how often do you feel tired? That's personal burnout. Work burnout, how does your work frustrate you? And client-related burnout, are you tired of working with clients? (laughs) Okay. But the one that's the most popular instrument is called the Maslach Burnout Inventory or the MBI, and it's the one that's most validated. So in this research article, that's the one they used. There's been other studies that have shown that personal personal burnout in midwives 75 to 83% of midwives, personal burnout. So work-related burnout, moderate to high level, 45 to 66. So around half of all midwives, moderate to high burnout and very high personal burnout. So that work-life balance is definitely being affected in midwives. Um, It said that midwives working in a continuity of care model had lower levels of burnout. So the continuity of care model is basically like a home birth midwife who takes care of women or birthing people throughout their pregnancies, birth and postpartum, and doesn't go in for shift work usually. So they're seeing the same clients, which actually leads to better relationships and probably that higher sense of personal accomplishment because you get the warm fuzzies from people you really know well, right? So the midwives working in continuity of care model had lower levels of burnout and anxiety and higher levels of empowerment, meaning they're getting to make their own decisions. They're not having all these rules and policies. The other, the other style of midwifery would be um, shift-based midwifery, maybe nurse midwives that are working at a hospital or even midwives that are working at a birth center, at a busy birth center, like I started out, there were five or six of us midwives. I worked every Wednesday night. I worked every fourth Saturday, but I didn't know the clients as well, you know? So what they did for this research is they did a big systematic review, okay? They wanted specifically research that had focused on independent data for midwives not combining them with midwife students. And they were going to use that MBI to measure, you know, to see how they were scoring. The MBI has um, three subscales, one for emotional exhaustion, one for depersonalization, and one for personal accomplishment. They use questions like, I feel used up at the end of the workday. Working with people all day is really a strain for me. So then they would grade it saying, does this happen never a few times a year, a few times a month, or 
several times per week or every single day. Okay. So as the result of all of their big searches, they found 27 articles that they analyzed. The total number of midwives in all of the studies was 5,612. And now we're going to go into the results. Interestingly enough, midwives aged less than 40 years have a higher frequency of experiencing a higher level of burnout. Now, Margo, you're young. What do you think about that? I am very young. I was one of the youngest uh, licensed midwives out of my school. Um, I started school at 20. Mm-hmm. Um, I was graduated by 24, licensed by 24. And I'm only 28 now. So yes, I'm very young. Um, I have noticed a trend in midwifery that I am both hopeful and cautious about, which is younger and younger people going into midwifery. Um, In my class, I was the youngest by eight years. Um, The class below me had 18 year olds. So fresh out of high school. Um, which I found to be amazing because that meant that people were finding this calling earlier in life and hopefully being able to make more change by, you know, starting earlier. But it also gave me pause because I realized I was so young when I went into middle free school, I had no clue what I was doing. I was fresh into the world, had never really been a grown-up before, and then was thrust into this very responsible, very demanding career, which, of course, I chose and knew going into. Um, But again, nothing really prepares you for midwifery except midwifery. So I think that being young um, is seen as both a good thing and a bad thing in the midwifery community. Um, I don't have any children. And so my flexibility, my scheduling was a lot easier. Um, I didn't have to find babysitters and I could drop everything and run. Um, but at the same time, that meant that I was usually the one going to check labors and leaving family gatherings and, you know, having to reschedule my events because it was easier for me. Um, I also found that not having children um, gave some patients kind of pause and made them question my abilities to care for them properly, um, which kind of hurt me And it still hurts to this day when people question my ability to care for someone during their pregnancy and birth, having never gone through that process myself. Um, I was always confident in my abilities as a very empathetic person (laughs) being able to care for these people. Um, But I found that being perceived as a young professional, um, I was not taken as seriously, which I think also contributed to my burnout. You know, I wasn't seen as a competent care provider. Yeah. I had to prove myself. And I was a midwife for six years before I had my first child. So I felt some of that too. My boss actually in Miami would uh, bring that up in front of clients. Well, Angie, you've, you've never had any kids, so you don't know, you don't know what this feels like. So that was a little disheartening and I may not have known what it felt like, but I was a midwife for a while and I had been an Ellen D nurse for five years. So I certainly had a lot of experience about what seemed to work for lots of other people, but I can definitely understand what you're saying there. So let me read some of the occupational factors they found um, led to burnout. So if there was a lack of material resources or personnel, low salaries, absence of professional recognition, perceptions of inadequate leadership, a poor working environment, 
excessive workload or family pressure. So the things that were protective factors were effective organization in the workplace, greater experience in the workplace, social support by the organization, positive relationships between medical staffs and other midwives. They helped prevent that emotional exhaustion. The importance of working as part of a team, being involved in the decision-making was very important to avoid burnout as well. So like we said before, if you had the shift-based work, you had higher levels of emotional exhaustion. That was primarily from studies in the UK, Ireland, Senegal, and Spain. And the continuity of care had significantly lower odds of the depersonalization. So if you're taking care of these people, you know, you care about, you're not likely to get that depersonalization. And I could just say, I worked in L&D units in Miami for five years. Mm-hmm. And the depersonalization that I saw, the way in people interacted with patients in the hospital was what ultimately led me to become a midwife. They had clearly become sick and tired of working with patients and it showed throughout their work. And it was, you know, quite disgusting in my eyes. And I felt guilty being a part of it. And that's why I decided to become a midwife because I didn't have the names for it at that point. I just thought this is horrible and I cannot become like them. I knew that I needed something else. Okay. So it's interesting because they said the ones that were working on the caseload model, they worked more on call hours. They were available 24 hours but they were more likely to gain job satisfaction, autonomy, and personalized care. They also did a higher number of home births. Mm -hmm. So you would think logically, oh, you're having shift work. You can go home and sleep. It's going to be better. However, if you don't know all your clients and you don't have that relationship, you're not getting the pats on the back that are required to avoid burnout. They're very important. Yeah. So other factors personality factors that were related to burnout were high levels of anxiety or PTSD. They said that the midwives who had greater empathy had more burnout or those with a passive coping style. They also said if you have a dominant communication style, you have higher levels of burnout and emotional exhaustion. If you're someone who is kind of like more collaborative, you know, communication, more cooperation, you have less burnout or even submissive people have less burnout. The more assertive you are, apparently more burnout. What do you think about that, Margo? Uh, Angie keeps looking at me and giggling because she just described me to a T. <laughs> If the shoe fits, I didn't if make this the up. <laughs> I am an extremely dominant yet empathetic person. I, um, I, I feel everything. I am so painfully empathetic that I feel every single emotion that my patients feel. I have laughed with patients harder than I have ever laughed with anyone else, but I have also bawled my eyes out at births. And I feel as though a lot of our patients really appreciated seeing that emotion because they, they knew that I was invested in them and they knew that I truly cared about them. But at the same time, I truly cared about every single one of my patients. I could probably go through my list of births that I have and tell you intimate details from every single birth. Um, And so that definitely took a toll. Keeping all of those stories with me and keeping everything, every feeling, every emotion, every ounce of happiness and pain that our patients threw at us, which is a lot over the childbearing year, it, it wears you down after a while. And, you know, some more rapidly than others. It, it was only three years for me. And that seems like a blink of an eye really in midwifery terms, but it just it wore me down. And I am a very talkative, 
rambunctious person. And, you know, I, I've been told I can, you know, captivate a room and take over a conversation. And um, it's, it's very interesting to hear that <laughs> those are the most prevalent reasons for burnout. And it's just like looking in a mirror. <laughs> well, it's interesting. And, you know, you said you came into this profession with high anxiety. Oh, yeah. For you sure. know? And so it's kind of like a recipe, you know, <laughs> a recipe for burnout. Um, so yeah, so interestingly enough, we talked about what burnout entails. The midwives primarily experience two concepts of burnout, the emotional exhaustion and the low personal accomplishment. They midwives in general did not experience that depersonalization. So that's really nice to hear is that we may be getting burnout. We may be emotionally exhausted, but we're still treating our clients as people. Yeah. So for you, Margo, do you feel like it was more of the emotional exhaustion or the low personal accomplishment or both? For me, it was definitely more of the emotional exhaustion. Um, I always felt fairly accomplished in my career. I um, had patients who absolutely loved me and requested me specifically. And, you know, I always felt like, I was always well-loved and well-appreciated in the community, but that emotional exhaustion is, is real and it was hard. I would come home after births and just sob for an hour, um, sometimes because I was stressed and anxious and sometimes because I was just happy and excited, but it was just that raw emotion that you know I continued to feel over and over. So that was definitely a struggle for me and something that I had to come to terms with for my own mental health. Yeah. So comparing how midwives did in this research, um, nurses in general have more depersonalization than we do. Yeah. And physicians mainly have emotional exhaustion and depersonalization because their sense of accomplishment is very great. But in the U.S., emotional exhaustion, 46% of physicians have, and 35% of physicians have the depersonalization. So if we wonder why sometimes care is suffering on the labor floor or other places, it's because these physicians are burnout too. So some of what we're talking about is applicable to them as well. So... Um, they said that those who had less experience were more likely to report emotional exhaustion because they're trying to get the skills and um, younger midwives who experienced burnout spent less time in the profession and thus may drop out of the profession. So in this review, they said there was no relationship between having children or not. But with the Swedish studies, they said that having children increased the prevalence of burnout and decreased the quality of life. And I have two kids and I'm a single mom. So I can definitely see how balancing of all of the schedules and finding childcare and not having that partner in the home makes it a little crazy sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. So implications for practice, what they recommended were mindfulness-based stress reduction programs. They said self-care, health and well-being, socialization with colleagues, time management for work, taking lunch breaks, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So during your years as a midwife, how was your professional support and your home support? So my professional support, I feel like we have a really good community of midwives here in South Florida. Um, <laughs> Angie has actually trained most of the midwives in South Florida. A lot of them, not most. A lot of them. <laughs> I feel like though everyone, it's like 10 degrees of separation to Angie Love. Oh. Um, <laughs> but uh, so we have a pretty strong community of, you know, midwives here in our area who are always willing to help or lend a hand or even just 
you know, an ear to listen to, hey, I have this really interesting case. Can you help me? Like good peer review. So that I always felt really was strong. And I, I really appreciated that. Um, my home support, I do have a partner, my husband, Andrew. Um, he was always very supportive of my midwifery career. Uh, he would pick up the slack whenever I needed him to. Um, so I'm very grateful for that. My extended like nuclear family, my, my parents, my brothers, they were supportive. Um, they did not quite understand what or why I would be putting myself through all this craziness, as they said. Um, cause they were usually the ones I was running off at. I'm going to, sorry, got to go. Bye. Baby, baby time. Um, so that I never quite got that full unconditional support from them, which was hard. Um, but I feel as though I was being supported the best I could be. Um, my downfall ultimately was my, my own personal my own personal demons and, you know, my mental health and my, my empathy. And it, it really, it really took a toll after a while. So I, yeah. <laughs> okay. So do you want to share how you made that decision to pause or leave midwifery? Uh, yeah, let me think. So I fell into a pretty deep depression at the end of 2019. Um, I definitely noticed that I was struggling. Um, I went back to therapy. I started taking you know, medications to help. And I really did a lot of soul searching. And I realized that the the weight and responsibility of being that primary caregiver for essentially two patients. Um, you have two human lives, sometimes three, if we're having twins, uh, you have two human lives in your hands at any given time and multiply that by however many patients you have in a month. And it's a lot of responsibility. And I was having a very difficult time being the person responsible for these humans. Um, that weight of responsibility started really affecting my mental health. I became depressed. I became extremely anxious. Um, so much so that like every time my phone would ring, I would have like a little mini panic attack because I thought, oh God, baby time. And I, after months of going through that, realized like this, this cannot continue. Um, and I think around November of 2019, I met with Angie and said like, like, this is not going well. I think at one point you looked at me and you're like, yeah, I can tell. <laughs> like, <laughs> like we need to talk about this kid. And I'm like, yeah, I know. So Maybe the panic attack before birth. I mean, that was my maybe Probably a sign. something. <laughs> and it it was just it was so hard. It was the hardest decision that I have ever had to make in my entire life. I love midwifery so deeply. It is truly my passion. Birth work fulfills me in a way that I don't think anything else can, because birth work is so different from any other type of work on this earth. But I always equated birth to a drug. Uh, a lot of midwives talk about birth being addicting and, you know, wanting to go more and wanting to be with pregnant people. And for me, it was, it was very addicting, but just like a lot of other drugs, it was not good for me. And so reconciling my love and my passion and my want to be in the birth community with my inability to do it safely. Because at that point I was so anxious that I felt as though my patient safety was in, in like 
in question. So at that point I knew for not only my mental health, but also my patient safety, I had to step back. And I do believe that it was the right choice, but it was the most difficult decision I've ever had to make. How did it feel to be out of midwifery at first? It was very bittersweet. So of course there was that initial relief of, you know, not having to be attached to my phone, um, not having to worry about, oh gosh, who's in windows? Should I have that glass of wine at dinner? Um, you know, there was a certain amount of freedom that midwifery doesn't quite allow for. Um, so that was really nice, but I also miss it every single day. And, um, I kind of, I've been looking for ways to kind of sneak back in. (laughs) Uh, Okay. We just had a friend, uh, give birth recently with Angie and I was able to be there and it was, it was just like I remembered and it was everything I ever wanted. And, um, I, I, it truly reminded me that I do truly, truly love birth work, but, um, going back as a primary care provider, I don't know if that would be beneficial to my health. Okay. Um, So how would you advise new midwives or student midwives from your experience to avoid burnout? So my go-to recommendation for, uh, either aspiring students or current students is if they have the ability, do doula work, um, become a doula, become an amazing doula, because it is such a core aspect of what we do as midwife, as midwives, but it also gives them a taste of that on-call life. Um, it gives them a sense of redoing their schedules and having to run out of family gatherings because babies don't wait. (laughs) Um, No, they don't. They don't. They have their own schedule and they come when they want to. Uh, So I think I, I, Angie's heard this joke a million times, but I would tell patients that I became a midwife because I'm not a very good doula. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I became a better doula as being a midwife, um, you learn those comfort skills and you, you know, learn to sit with your patients and just be there for them. But I feel as though having that initial like toe in the water of birth work where they're not, um, the person making the calls, they're not the person, uh, responsible. They are just there for emotional support. Um, that is really beneficial. And the students that I have guided into that field, through doula work. Um, I've had a few of them come back to me and say that it it did help them prepare or at least gave them a a better idea of what it was going to be like. Um, And if possible, even before going to school, contact your local midwives, figure out who is in your community. Um, I was here in this area as a student in high school and I had no idea Angie lived 20 minutes for me. (laughs) You were up here practicing, doing your thing. And, you know, I had no clue. So I always encourage people to find who is in your community and find out what birth looks like where you live. You know, do you have only home birth midwives or do you have birth centers that you could possibly help out at? Yeah. So based on this research study, it seems to be saying if you are very highly empathetic and you have high anxiety, this may not be the career for you. Yeah. It's going to be too much. Yeah. Which is harsh to say, but if it saves people time and money, you know, then this, I think midwifery does require someone to keep a very cool head during a lot of, uh, stressful situations. Absolutely. Um, so how about any ideas for boss midwives to decrease burnout in their employees or their partner midwives? So one of the issues that started to affect me later on in my career was that 
I was primary midwife on call always, <laughs> um, which was great for learning. I was still learning at that time. And I got a lot of triage practice and I got a lot of times where, you know, I, I maybe went to the birth a little too early and probably could have waited and learned a lot from that. Um, but constantly being on call 24 seven, like I would tell people, I don't get a break unless I, unless we build it in. Um, and Angie for as long as I've known you has always had her July off. Everyone knows Angie takes the whole month of July off and it's, it's built in. Everyone knows it. We, she makes an announcement every year around November, like, Hey, I'm going out in July. If you don't want to have a baby, then use protection. So having that built in time, I feel as though really gave you something to look forward to. Um, and I never really had that built-in time. I would take maybe a week here, a week there to see family, do vacations, but I never had that, that solid break. And I don't think everyone needs that. Um, but if you are finding that your employees are maybe getting burnt out or you feel as though they might be having some designated time where you can turn off your phone, walk away, you know, not worry about your patients and know that they are being taken care of and being safe. Um, those few moments where, you know, you would take call were the best nights of sleep I ever had. Because <laughs> I knew that I had a competent, confident midwife partner who knew what decisions were being made and would call me if they needed me. And, you know, that taking that relief, taking that off of, you know, your midwife's shoulders is, is a lot. And there are solo midwives who do not get that. Is, that. that is me currently. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not easy. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that our schedule, when I hired Margo, I was very excited. I had not hired another midwife before. So it was a new experiment for both her and I. And so the schedule was very sustainable for myself. <laughs> yeah, it was great. <laughs> Maybe not so sustainable for her, but I figured she's young, fresh, energetic. You know, we'll do this a couple of years and then, you know, could switch it up. But however, so um, any other last burning thoughts from you, Margo? Just that I... I always tell people, like, I will tell anyone who asks my story because I feel like it's an important aspect of midwifery that burnout and realizing that it happens and it happens to young, energetic midwives, <laughs> um, not just, you know, older midwives who have been in it for 40 years. Like this happens to people in their prime, so to speak. Um, but I always tell people who are interested in midwifery, like take what I say with a grain of salt, mm -hmm. understand that your experience is going to be your experience. Um, your experience is not going to be my experience. And so I never want my story to dissuade anyone from joining this profession, because I truly do believe that if you have a calling for birth work, you should be in birth work. Um, in some capacity, because we need more providers in every sense. We need more doulas, we need more midwives, we need more midwife-friendly physicians. <laughs> yeah. um, I've had some friends who wanted to become midwives and I discouraged them. I told them to go be doctors because I knew that their skill set would be better suited as a physician. And I know we need more midwife friendly physicians. So, um, Wonderful. I, I, yeah. <laughs> so, um, as we close, I wanted to just give, uh, some survival tips, which is hopefully something that I can include in every episode survival tips. And today's survival tips are going to be about how to be resilient, how to avoid burnout. So some of them would include taking vacation every year, 
where you are off call totally, setting limits and boundaries on how many clients you take a month, and also what are your office hours going to be, and when you will return non-urgent phone calls. So setting those limits and boundaries, drinking lots of water during a birth, staying hydrated will help you the next day, blackout curtains in your bedroom, white noise app on your phone or a white noise machine, foam earplugs if need to be for loud children in the background. And one of my strategies was if my loud kids were at home with the babysitter, it was during the day, going to go sleep at the office or sleeping at a friend's house to get a good solid three or four hour chunk in before returning and facing the kids. So those are our survival tips. I want to thank Margo for speaking with us today and looking forward to seeing you soon, Margo. Love you. Love you too. Take care.